I once read um, that CEOs should not, in fact, call themselves that, but rather CROs, and the R's reminding, so the chief reminding officer. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to another episode of MVP, the marketer's most valuable perspective recording here at Optus Stadium and State of Social 2022. Uh, this is a podcast uh, on behalf of State of Social and Dear Storyteller. Um, joining me right now to deep dive into her most valuable perspectives after a, a talk that was just inspiring, exciting and full of insights is none other than founder of The Urban List, Susanna George. Susanna, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. Um, it was. I, I want to kick this off by being uh, a little hyperbolic. <laughs> I just sat in that show, and something that I noticed that show. That's kind of how it felt. Um, something that I noticed was the energy that you had when you walked on stage. There's a a great story that I I remember uh, about Whoopi Goldberg describing an old acting teacher that she once had, where she said she's like a force of nature but she's not a typhoon. She's more gentle than that. She's like the summer coming. And when you walked on that stage and you stood on stage and had that presence, I just felt the summer coming. I just felt like there was, the, I mean, maybe it was this dress, which is just such an incredible co color, but it was also just the, the calmness and the presence that you had to tell your story. And I just wanted to say thank you for doing that. That's among the most generous and beautiful compliments I could have received. I'm so grateful. Um, I, I love people. I love the opportunity to connect with people. And over time, I've recognised that it's kind of being willing to share your own guts and grit and ugliness and shadow um, that the greatest connections come. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful for that compliment. That's what I try to do. I try to be present. I try to connect um, with you in this moment that you are. Um, and I'm glad I was able to bring some of that today. I think um, you And along with the summer, did. the Queensland summer. <laughs> um, I wanted to, to touch on something else that's, that's obviously quite close to your heart. It's a story that I've heard you tell a couple of times, but you are a fifth generation entrepreneur. And you tell a story about um, your father, uh, that going to work with your father on Saturdays, dressing up in your school uniform because you felt like that was the formal and right thing to do and sitting in on meetings and kind of learning by osmosis. I have a, I have a question for you to delve a little deeper into that. Sure. If you were to, if there was somebody who did not grow up in an entrepreneurial family and they were to come into your office and sit on a few of your meetings at Urban List, what are some lessons that you hope that they would learn by osmosis by sitting in with you? Oh, that's interesting. Um, the first thing that you would learn is that as an organisation, we are very keen to understand the stories of our traditional custodians. And that is the very first thing that you would notice in coming to any meeting. As you would have heard, decentralised workforce, all of our meetings are remote. They're all on screens. Um, and somebody opens with acknowledgement of country and shares what they've learned recently about the dialects or the place that they are currently in or from. Um, so that's the first thing that you would need. That's the first thing you would learn that we are really engaged in learning the stories of our place and our, of our culture. Um, and then from there, you would move into what we call crew assemble. 
And here you would learn that we are an organization truly about people and connecting with one another. So Crew Assemble is intended to bring us into that place for a moment together. And so it's one minute and somebody prepares this Crew Assemble, which is all about getting to know one another or framing up our mindset for what's to come. So those are the first two things that you would learn by osmosis about our company and our organization. I would like to think that you would also learn the power of curiosity and of teamwork. Um, earlier today, um, there was, and I think it has merit, there were some disparaging comments around co-creation and collaboration and how lengthy that process can become. Uh, and also, um, I think that that's something that you would certainly learn the benefit of if you were sitting in an in our meetings. Uh, we are not an organisation that is particularly hierarchical. Um, it doesn't matter what your title is. Um, it matters the quality of your idea uh, and your willingness to learn. So I really hope that you would learn those things if you were that's, sitting in a meeting with us. That's amazing. There's such great answers. I'm so glad I asked that question because that was a great answer. And I kind of want to dive into uh, something that you said there. Being a uh, non-decentralised workforce, and talking about the importance of collaboration. I find those things to be almost at odds with each other a lot of the time because one of the things that I love personally as an individual is a tap on the shoulder, is a, hey, what do you think of this? Can I just run something past you real quick? And I feel like the resistance and the tension and the blocks to do that in a decentralised workforce, it's just that much more of a commitment to reach out to someone and say, hey, can I get on a Zoom with you real quick? Is that just a discipline that your team has learned or do you do it in a different way? Uh, I think it is our culture. I think it is the thread of the organisation um, because it has always been that way. So it's less disciplined and more is. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not something that we're trying to unlearn or relearn. It is just the mm. culture of the organisation. Um, we have certain norms that help make it more possible. Um, so we are prolific users of Slack uh, yep. and more specifically um, the little status emojis that you can set yes. on your Slack profiles <laughs> yep. so people understand what what space you're in within your workday so we don't have that interruptive culture, mm -hmm. which I think actually happens more in the workplace mm -hmm. when you're tapped yes. on the shoulder and Absolute you're in the zone, be. in flow, nothing worse, time waster. So we use them pretty prolifically. Um, we have, it's always cameras on, always, always cameras on. Um, and if there are multiple people in the same place, it's one laptop per person, one camera per person. So everyone is an equal participant instead of having two or three big heads and then a sea of eight. Yeah. Um, so we have certain norms that we've found make it, uh, make it easier to collaborate and it's about trying to mimic the human condition as much as we can or the face-to-face -face condition as much as we can. I love that you brought up um, Slack because I just listened to the podcast that you did with um, the CMO show back in 2015. And when you brought up Slack then, you said this little startup that's just kind of getting its legs called Slack and now it's the behemoth that it is today. And it's also a wonderful full circle f moment for me because before I was working with Dear Storyteller, I actually worked with Filtered Media. Did you really? So yeah, so oh. this is... Uh, a wonderful thing to be interviewing you just like Mark Jones did back then um, <laughs> but that's a side point um, I Can I tell you a little story about yeah. how we use Slack? Yeah, um, So we um, 
you can set channels in Slack and seven of our channels are dedicated to our values. We have seven values. Mm. And so when things happen across the grounds, we're massive celebrators, um, celebrators of achievement and of gratitude. And so whenever something happens across the company, they are always shouted out in Slack under their channels. And it sounds, it sounds a little contrived. To see it in action is just so magical. It's one of the best ways that I have seen in a remote work force to make sure that those values are clear and present every day. Um, yeah, so I just want to share that about a way, a way that we use Slack that might be useful for people. I think that's incredible. And I think it leans into something that is a kind of key perspective of one of the other speakers that spoke today, Adam Ferrier, who says um, BX, before CX, uh, BX before EX before CX. So brand experience before employee experience before customer experience. And we talked in an episode that people will have heard a little bit before this about how employee experience is often the missing kind of thing in that and when it's fulfilled they become such great ambassadors of the brand and it seems like you have a really fulfilled employee base that live and breathe the brand which again is like an enormous asset for for urban list our employee proposition is right there in our our brand proposition so our brand proposition is good life good company so if you're going to put it out there that overtly, you better be a good place to be. Mm. You spoke about the importance of team members being humble, hungry, and people smart. In your, I, I just loved the entire sort of segment that you did on people. And I was like, oh, this blends right into one of the questions that I wanted to ask, which is, do you, in that process, have any key questions, key exercises, things that you look for to try to identify those early patterns, things, things that where you can kind of pick someone ahead of time. Sure. So what you're referencing there is the ideal team player framework, and it was developed by Patrick Lencioni. So not my IP, um, but a beautiful piece of work. And we we absolutely have it as part of our people process. So it's built into our recruitment. So we do have questions that probe to what extent are these people humble, hungry, and people smart. Um, we have it as part of our onboarding, and we kind of reveal that this is these are the reasons that we were asking you these questions and then we give them a self-guided questionnaire so that they can self-identify where they might have a little bit of scope Mm. for growth so it quantifies it makes it a little bit more objective um twice a year so we have something called you learn twice a year we do the refresher about how important this is uh, within our culture and we also whenever we do a hot wash process after a project or an initiative um, basically the post-mortem to see what worked well, what didn't. Um, when things didn't and we think that it had to do with teamwork, we often look to that model to figure out what went wrong in the context of that model. So through the lens of humility, were people actively seeking their individual achievement or individual aspirations over the results of the team? Um, On the hunger side, was there somebody who wasn't really willing to step up and take on their responsibility or not truly accountable for the role that they were playing? Mm. And on the people smarts, did we create tension? Did we create friction um, that was unnecessary by not being conscious enough of how our words and our behaviours were impacting others when things came under pressure. So we use it as a lens that's um, trying to help identify how to do things better next time. 
I love that. And it's something that I'm picking up with here and it sort of is threaded through everything that you've talked to me about is that none of this is, is paying lip service to these ideas. There's processes, there's a kind of netted web of things that are put in place. And it's not just one question, it's a series of questions. It's a self-guided questionnaire. And so, like, like uh, I think a, a few people have said today, uh, it is so true in marketing in general, there is no silver bullet. But it's really, if you are committed to this as an organization, then what are you willing to put in place to ensure that that happens? Yeah, I once read um, that CEOs should not, in fact, call themselves that, but rather CROs, and the R's reminding. So the chief reminding officer. So this is spouser of the, the vision and the culture and the values. And of course, our people process is very, very much tied up in that, um, making sure that we're really living it and that we've got the structures in place um, that even though it's a people process, we do need to human proof it to some extent mm. so that there's longevity and legacy. I love that. Um, I'm going to give you another compliment here. You, you, you appear to me to be a woman of great taste. And I think that in business and in marketing, having great taste is so important. And you've talked about in the past about being in the business of knowing what your customers want three months before they do because so often that's the kind of news cycle that you, you, you kind of work to, you try to stay ahead of the game. Um, how, if this feels like something that you identify with, how have you learned to cultivate your taste over your lifetime and career and um, kind of also in some ways lead the idea of what people like us do things like this in the context of the urban list which you probably recognize as a Seth Godinism people like us do things like this who are people like us in urban list is that 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 must have been something that you kind of cultivated over a long period of time in the early days um we we tried to do some work around if urban list were a person, who would that person be? And we always came up short. We never really nailed it. Um, and I, the reason I'm going there is because one of the early personas was very much about that socially savvy, very connected best friend who always dresses the part and knows the right places to go, incredibly articulate and witty and funny, and you'd love to hate them, <laughs> except they give you that big warm hug every time you see them. <laughs> so that was sort of the descriptor that we had in mind. Um, but uh, to, to what extent do... Do I lead that? Do I guide that? Um, I suppose that every founder has their fingerprints all over um, the brand persona of their company, and that's certainly true in ours. That said, I don't create a single piece of our editorial content. Uh, I trust our editorial team implicitly and within their content whips each week there is a whole section around trends. Um, some of that is influenced around social trends and anecdotal trends uh, and some of it is really tied up in our content strategy. So to your point earlier, we're trying to identify things three months out and often that is about safeguarding our future traffic. So it's trying to diversify our traffic source away from social and making sure that our content is appearing in those first one or two search results for the terms that will be trending in three months time, which means we're starting to work on things for 
What are we working on right now? Um, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. That content will already be alive on site and it will continue to get updated weekly until that time. And feed search filters and things like that. Right? All of that. Performance. I love that. Um, let's jump into some of our quick fire questions. So we sure. are asking this to, to all of the speakers here today. I can't wait to hear what you're going to say. Um, question number one is, where do you go uh, to learn about business and marketing? I am part of an organization called YPO, Young Presidents Organization, and more specifically, I have a wonderful forum who are very conscious of the impact of being a business leader on self and on family. So that network and the resonance for me about how I am growing as an individual and who I am being in this world and showing up as in all of those spheres has been game-changing mm. in terms of my learning. Uh, I'm a voracious reader absolutely love reading i am at any given time i'll be reading about three books and they're always on referral from somebody else um could you give a book referral to our audience today uh if you are a founder and you have not yet read traction by gino wickman you absolutely must uh equally if you've not read the five dysfunctions of a team by patrick lencioni um He's sort of my poster boy for um, business fables, if you will. Um, uh, I would highly encourage you to read those two. Awesome. Um, what is a small brand, and I know this one will hit home for you, but what is a small brand you love and why? I'm going to answer in the first thing that came to mind, which is normal, which is actually about, it's a brand that is sex toys, but normalizing um, at and creating a much more inclusive environment uh, for sex positive conversation. So I love the name normal, yeah. making it part of vernacular. Uh, I love that they are being, they've taken a very content heavy approach to product in that they're very engaged in their communities having um, a much more positive and fulfilling sexual experience um, and doing away with performance anxiety and all of these <laughs> things that I think come with growing up. And I think that's incredibly brave uh, for, for a brand. And it's also been built to be not particularly ageist. So I think mm. particularly brave through that lens. Breaking through all sorts of barriers. That's very cool. Um, if you could spend four hours with any marketer or business person in the world, who would you choose and why? My dad. Uh, he is my greatest mentor. He has this uncanny and painful quality of being able to identify exactly the problem that I am facing when I have been struggling with it for years. Um, and ultimately, there is no person under the sun who is more invested in me being successful as a person, not as a business person, but as a person than him, I love my that. dad. Parents have a great way of just being able to see straight through you, don't they? <laughs> My mom is exactly the same way. Um, is there an emerging customer behavior you think will be highly influential over the next decade? Yes. I think that many consumers are going to do battle with um, to what extent will they lean into their values over a cost equation. So we're clearly in an inflationary environment. Mm. 
even more exposed being in a place like Australia where our population is quite small. And I think that the, the younger generations who are mortified, horrified by what's been created by older generations will really need to do battle with to what extent can they really put their values first um, when that might mean real sacrifice. That is such a good answer. I freaking love that answer. Okay, um, <laughs> is there? Uh, we've got two more questions to go. Is there a major public opinion that recently flipped where you felt marketing or communications played a crucial role? Yeah, um, it hasn't flipped, but it's still on the radar, and I think that that's relevant too. Um, so I'm going to talk about the news media bargaining code, and I think that there was a popularist opinion that... Facebook had been called to task and had channeled $200 million now into the journalism industry. Uh, I think the story that has that was not told and some, some are still sharing that story and enough people are listening is that it was unfortunately to the detriment of digital first publishers um, who were not invited to the table, were not given the opportunity to be part of the conversation and as a result are at a significant disadvantage. So in essence, the News Media Code, however well-intentioned, has handed an even louder megaphone to the biggest voices instead of really championing the future of independent media. Such an important conversation. I really hope that it kicks off again in earnest and continues to move in a positive direction. Last question, and it's a bit of a fun one. When you think of the term prized possession, what's the first branded thing that comes to mind that you own? And follow-up question while you think about it. Do you remember the specific ad or piece of marketing that may have convinced you to buy it? I'm remembering a summer spent working in a quarry at the Weybridge, weighing gravel. I grew up in the country. Summer jobs were slim pickings. Um, And I did this so that I could save up the $300 to buy my first pair of Doc Martens, which were brown suede. Questionable choice. Sure. Not Um, not the standard. I don't know. (laughs) You made a comment about good taste earlier. Um, Must have evolved over time. Um, I do not remember, however, the marketing. I suspect it was the very early days of influencer marketing and the influence probably was a cooler, bigger kid in the neighbourhood. I love that. Um, Susanna George, it has been so good to chat to you today and thank you for your generosity both here and on stage of vulnerability and your expertise and your insight. It's been unreal. Thank Thanks you for, for joining me, us. Mike. Um, that is all for this episode of MVP, the marketer's most valuable podcast for State of Social and Dear Storyteller. We hope you enjoyed the show. Give us a rating and review on iTunes and Spotify and we'll be back with more episodes soon. Thanks so much. Thanks.